Welcome to Stories from the Center of the Universe, the podcast about the human experience. Steve Sands, welcome to the Center of the Universe. Man, I didn't realize that this was the center of the universe. It's great to be here. How are you? Well, I, I think the notion is it's not the physical center of the universe. It's just the, the three of us chatting becomes the center of the universe. I love it. I love it. I love it. Thanks for having me on, fellas. It's an honor to be here. No, it's an honor to have you, Steve. And I have to mention that we connected to you through Kevin, who is friends with uh, Ward Fasul. And then you and Ward, I think, go back a ways. Ward is, the, is a legend. Um, I loved working with Ward. Uh, back in Richmond for three years, uh, we teamed up and did a lot of stuff together. Uh, he's a wonderful guy. He's gone on to do bigger and better things uh, since he left Richmond. Um, has a wonderful family. Uh, he couldn't be a better guy. There's only one problem with Ward. The only problem I've ever had with Ward is he's a massive Georgetown basketball fan. And back in the 90s when we were just becoming good friends and working together, Georgetown was all right. Well, they're off the radar right now and the fact that he still talks smack about georgetown basketball <laughs> is embarrassing to ward who is your team steve well if you hate georgetown that means you're either from out of town and you're a syracuse villanova guy or you are a in-town dc guy and you're a maryland terrapins fan so we are a ah. maryland we are a maryland house and uh, john thompson and lefty they never liked each other they wouldn't play each other and uh, if you're a Maryland house in the area, you can't stand Georgetown. You're a Georgetown house. You can't stand Maryland. So other than that, I love Ward to death. Yeah, I have a tough time with the Georgetown thing, too. But uh, being from Central Virginia, I'm more of a uh, University of Virginia fan. So I'm not oh, yeah. in the middle of that whole uh, Georgetown, Syracuse, uh, Maryland thing. But Lefty was a legend back in the day. Loved he was the man. Him. Absolutely loved him. Loved him. All right, so you and Ward, interestingly enough, are both from the D.C. area. You both grew up in D.C., yeah. but you met in Richmond. So, but, but talk about growing up in D.C. What was that like? Oh, it was the best. Uh, we grew up on 31st Street, Northwest D.C. Uh, my, my family started, my dad started a liquor store, you know, in the 60s uh, with my grandfather. Uh, the store's still there. My younger brother runs it. Uh, D.C. is a great place to grow up. Uh, you know, I'm 52, so... You know, in the late 70s and 80s and, and early 90s, you know, the Skins were the best team in football, along with the Niners and the Cowboys and the Giants a little bit there, too. Um, and we had a great run there. Uh, you know, the Bullets won a, a, an NBA title when I was a kid. Uh, we didn't have baseball with the Nationals, but my dad used to take us to Memorial Stadium in Baltimore. So we became Orioles fans. Um, and they won a world series. Won. Yep. Uh, the, the Terps were always really good. Uh, we had to wait a little while to win a national championship under Gary Williams in 2002. Uh, but you know, sports wise, living wise, uh, growing up in DC was fantastic. Uh, our house was just all about sports. Uh, a lot of love in our house with all my brothers and sisters and my mom and dad. And, uh, my mom was born and raised in DC. So there was no way she was ever going to leave, um, as much as my father, was a big New Yorker. Uh, DC is is and always will be home, no matter where we, uh, we no matter where we put our head down. So, so Dad, being a New Yorker, do you have an affinity for New York teams as well? Oh no, I hate New York. Yeah, I hate. <laughs> I, no, I love I love New York. I love going to Manhattan. I love eating the food there. I love the people there. I love the passion there. I do think they're the they're the probably. I mean, you, you could argue back and forth, but they're as good as sports fans as there are uh, anywhere in the nation. Uh, I love going to New York, but it's fun to hate 
New York sports, man. Yes. I mean, it is, it is fun to root against the Giants. Uh, the Jets, nobody cares about. It's fun to root against the Knicks, watch them get all jacked up, and then see them fail in the first round. Uh, even though a buddy of mine now works for the Nets, um, it's fun to root against the Yankees, but that hasn't done us any good uh, in, the, in the last hundred years. They they seem to win one uh, every three or four years, but uh, it's a uh, it's a healthy rivalry between New York and DC. They don't look at us the same way as we look at them, but they look at us and kind of poo poo us. And I don't blame them. It's the big bad New York, but it's all good. Hey, Steve, is there really is there any truth to the divide in the New York fandom where it's the Jets, Mets, um, yeah. Islanders? It, it, and you like one side yeah. or the other, the Rangers, Yankees, Knicks? Oh, yeah, yeah. If you're a New York, if you're a New Yorker, so the Giants, the Yankees, the Knicks, you know, the Rangers are the four main ones. Uh, and the, the Jets are the little brother of the Giants. They hate that, but they are. I mean, come on. It's, they're not the New York football giants. They're the, they're the Jets. Uh, it was called Gi- Giant Stadium for all those years before they <laughs> right. moved to MetLife. Uh, I mean, no offense to the Brooklyn Nets, but Brooklyn's a borough. The New York Knicks, that's Manhattan. Uh, no offense to the Islanders. I know they've won a lot of Stanley Cups. Uh, not recently, but they had that string in the early 80s. But that's the island. The Rangers, that's Manhattan. That's, that's Mark Messier. That's Madison Square Garden, the world's most famous arena. And then the Yankees and the Mets, I mean, come on, that's, you know, that's, you know, that no offense to the Mets fans, uh, but the Yankees are the Yankees, no matter where you are. uh, And then the Mets, so the the Mets are out on the Island, you know, out by the USTA tennis center out there in Flushing Meadows. Um, They're out in Queens. They play at city city field. Brooklyn is out in Brooklyn. The Islanders play out, you know, Brooklyn and now out in the Island at Nassau Coliseum. So, you know, those are the Jets. The Jets always were out there as well, even though they now play MetLife over in North Jersey. So it makes sense that there's those four and then the main four. Uh, yep. But if I was a New Yorker, Kev, come on, man. You got to be a, a, a Yankees, Giants, Rangers, and Knicks fan. You can't be a Jets, Mets, Nets, and Islanders fan. Come on. You, you're, <laughs> just, you're just screaming, I don't ever want to see a championship in my lifetime. <laughs> no, re- man. And – and have, maybe the Nets have a chance, actually. The Nets have a chance this upcoming mm-hmm. season. But, but I will say, if you're not only rooting against a championship, but pain every year, pain, being a Jets fan. I mean, look, mm. I'm a Washington football fan. That's painful. But the Jets take it to a new level. I mean, their, their mediocrity has lasted our lifetime. It, it's embarrassing. So, you know. Oh. So, so I Steve, I, sports, I, are the, I, sports are the best, fellas, man. I love it. All right, so Steve, I imagine you know Daniel Snyder's age. Uh, I, I do know Daniel Snyder, yeah. Uh, not would, him personally, but I know, but, you know, you know, I know it, all of him, yeah. he's around our age, right? He's in his fifties, uh, I think. Uh, yeah, he's a, he's slightly older. I'm fifty two. I'll be fifty three in February. He's uh he's a few years older. I think maybe fifty six, seven or eight, maybe fifty six, fifty seven, maybe. So, so there's a chance he lives for like thirty plus more years. Listen, man, I, I, what are you getting at? I, I, I kindly, due to my love for Ward, I kindly agreed to come on your guy's show. <laughs> and, and, and now you're going to pee in my Cheerios, man? I mean, come on. Wow. Come on, man. I, I, was, I was just wondering if you had envisioned what the next 30 years might look like, but I understand I, the, uh, the pee in your I'll, Cheerios. I'll comment. tell you what the next 30 years are going to look like. <laughs> They're going to look like the last 25 years. Oh. It's gonna, you know, I think I just saw my dog do that on the yard. That's what it is. Yeah. Oh. 
Brutal. All right. So let's go back to your childhood. You're 10, 11, 12 years old. You're living in DC besides school and and the ordinary things that 10 year olds do. How did you spend your spare time? You know, my, my older brother is, is uh, two and a half years older than I am. My younger brother and sister are twins. They're almost four years younger than me. So I hung out with my older brother a lot, you know, in the city, you know, you're moving around more. It's a different era, man. I mean, you know, you, you say to your parents, hey, we're going to go down the street and get a slice of pizza. You rode your bike or you walked and nobody cared. Nowadays, you can't do that with your kids. Or you can, but it just isn't done as much. Uh, but living in the inner city, you know, we spent a lot of time going to, you know, just hanging out at places, um, kind of hanging out at the park where they would play a lot of basketball. I, I watched a lot of guys who were older than me, like Adrian Dantley and Kenny Carr, uh, go play ball. And my God, if they would ever need a 10th guy for that five on five, or if there were three teams and it was five, five and five, and the five were waiting for the other game to end 11 to win by two or 15 win by two. Um, if, if they were only just a a man short, we could run out there on the court uh, with some of those older guys, uh, played a lot of football, played a lot of basketball, uh, we played a lot of street hockey in DC. Mm. I don't know why. Uh, you know, DC is not the greatest hockey town in the world. Uh, it's become a much better hockey town as the Caps have been successful. Um, but I mean, I love the Caps, but um, a lot of football, a lot of basketball, uh, a lot of, a lot of skipping school, a lot of, a lot of uh, looking over the shoulder of Nikki Newman to make sure I could get to the next grade. Um, you know, a lot of bad things there. But <laughs> Shout out to Nikki. You know, oh, Nikki. Oh, man, I, I'd love to know what Nikki's doing now. I, I owe her a big, big stake. I can tell you that. <laughs> so how did you end up going to Colorado State? So I went to – so I played high school basketball, and we always were in a Christmas tournament and, you know, could never really go away or anything like that. And then one year we got bounced early, uh, and a buddy of mine was going skiing out in Vail. So I was like, man, I, I would love to do that. And my parents were like, hey. You know, you, you never get an opportunity to do that. You know, we, we would love to have that for you. So they're like, great, why don't you go out there? So, you know, they put me on a, you know, a continental flight. I was in row 44B within the smoking section uh, back then, you know, flew out to Colorado, landed, and I looked around and I had never been west of the Potomac River in my life. I'd never been outside the city and, you know, city living and it was just different. And I landed at Stapleton Airport in Denver, looked around and went, whoa man, this is the prettiest place I've ever seen. The people are cool and everybody's having fun outdoors and it's clean air and the mountains, the whole deal. Then we went up to Vail and skied for a couple of days and I just thought it was the greatest thing ever. And at that point, let's face it, I was not uh, the world's greatest student. And uh, at that point, when I came home and my parents saw the enthusiasm I had for Colorado and I said, would you mind if I applied, you know, to Colorado or to Colorado State? My parents were so excited that I even wanted to go to college at that point. So they were like, yeah, go ahead. Now, it was a lot different back then. It probably was about $4,200 to go to school out of state back then. But uh, my parents were, uh, were very uh, influential in my life, uh, not only with sports, but just, you know, go for it and, and do what you want to do and do what you think is best uh, with their guidance, of course. And they thought, you know what? What a great time in your life to go away. You know, my mom grew up in, in, in D.C., went to AU, and then lived her whole life in D.C. My father was an East Coast guy, but he left after college. He was in the Army for a little bit, and then he went to Illinois uh, and got a business degree. So I think my parents kind of realized, you know what? It's a great time of your life to go away. Give it a shot. And uh, 
and it worked out great. It couldn't have been any better. It was a great place to be. Uh, wonderful people. I'm still in touch with the folks out there um, in the journalism department and the athletic department. And uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful city, great college town and a really good school. So you landed on uh, journalism and, and I think technically your degree is technical journalism. What's the yeah. difference between journalism and technical? Uh, there's not. It's just a stupid name that they had back then. I don't even think they have it back then. It's broadcast journalism. Okay. Uh, I wanted to be. So back then, so it sounds like you're my age, Paul, right? Uh, how I'm 52. Yep. Okay. Same as me. So back then, you know, there was no internet. There were no cell phones. Um, you know, you waited and there were no, you didn't even watch sports center. We didn't have cable when I was in high school. Um, now where I live. And, you know, you waited, you know, you watched uh, the 11 o'clock sports if you, if you wanted to, the six o'clock sports, if you were into that. Uh, yeah, and you weren't into that when you were in high school. Uh, and then you read the paper and you, you're Tony Kornheiser, Michael Wilbon, Ken Denlinger, um, you know, Thomas Boswell, um, some of the greatest writers uh, in, in the sports writers that America's ever had were at the Washington Post. My dad always had the Washington Post. My mom always read the Washington Post. So I was just I was just a sports guy. So I wanted to be a sports writer. And uh, there's a professor there named Fred Shook, who's still alive. And, uh, you know, we chat every once in a while. Uh, and he said, you know what? Here's the deal. He said, you love sports more than anybody I've ever met. So why don't you just take every assignment we have and you do sports? Don't worry about the assignment. You write a sports paper and we'll figure it out. I said, okay. And that was the first time. Uh, I'm not giving you an education lesson, but as you know, I don't know if you have children or not, but when a, when a, a professor or a, a teacher or a mentor takes an interest in you, as opposed to just the curriculum or just what they're trying to preach or teach, then all of a sudden a, a kid's eyes will light up. And I was like, wow, I can, I can actually make a living in sports doing this. And, and professor shook said, absolutely. So I said, okay. So I did a few papers. He called me in about a month in and he said, you know, Steve, I love your passion, but you're not a very good writer. And I was like, oh, okay. It kind of broke my heart for a little bit. And he goes, but this is a true story. I like the way you sound. I like your vibe. He goes, I think you ought to try TV. And I'm like, television. I laughed at him. I was like, television, you're out of your mind. And he's like, no, I really think you ought to give it a shot because it's sports. Forget the cameras, forget the microphones. You're just doing sports. I said, okay. And uh, I said, I'll give it a shot just for you because I really like you. And he was my mentor, along with Greg Luft, who's also it's still a professor of broadcast journalism at Colorado State. Professor Shook went on to retire. He's in his 80s now. Wonderful, wonderful man. Um, asked me to call him Fred all the time. So does Greg for Luft. And I call him Professor Luft, Professor Shook. Uh, but Professor Shook is the one who said to me, you ought to try TV. Right. Uh, you, you cannot write. And he was right. He was he was 100 percent right. I, I was a terrible writer. And the television thing, I hope it continues, uh, seemingly has worked out. It sounds yes. like Professor Shook uh, took interest in students as individuals, but it sounds like he also had a real affinity for you. He, you know what? Uh, you know, you don't realize that when you're 18, 19, 20. Uh, but now that I'm older, have kids myself, um, and I see him, you know, every once in a while when I go out there to, to talk to students or have some fun with them, uh, I also – you know, reach out to him or he reaches out to me more often because he's laying on the couch and he's screaming at the TV if I say something that he doesn't like. Um, but yeah, you know what? You're right. He, he, he was a special, special teacher. He was a special educator and he looked at people and saw the best in them. And there was no question that I was a kid who just like a lot of guys, but a lot of girls 
growing up say, I want to do something in sports. Well, that's a broad, broad term. Let's narrow that focus just a touch. And then perhaps I can help you. And Professor Shook was the guy, along with Professor Luft, the two of them were the ones who said, this is the route you need to take. Uh, let's hone your skill in that particular avenue and let's see how far it can go. And every step of the way, I have always, always outside of my family, thanked them first. I've always called them, let them know what's going on. Um, they mean a lot to me. Even, even been gone from Fort Collins for 31 years now. Um, they, they mean a lot, uh, a lot. There's no question. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you guys if it wasn't for those two, especially Professor Shook. Sounds like uh, they're very special guys, and uh, you're lucky to have had them in your life. Yeah. And, I, and, and I will say, I, I wish I had people in my life like that. Kevin has never really been that important to me. And just so you have some context, <laughs> Steve, Kevin is also 52. He's a father of three boys, and I think you have three sons. We do. Uh, and I'm a father of three, uh, and I was blessed with two girls out of the three. Is that is that blessed or is that that's know. mostly mostly blessed because I there's a chance my wife listens to this. I know we're on a podcast, but take that hat off. Let me see that head. Oh no no! I have a 52 year old head. I no no. Look, no, look no, at see, that beauty. No, see that now that has two girls written all over it. <laughs> <laughs> Come well, on, yes. well, a little a little bit of gray and yeah, uh, half half of a dome kind of thing. There's going a big here. difference between being a father of. The Chase Ers versus the Chase E's. It's a big difference. Well, yeah, and, and let me be clear: my daughters are seventeen and fifteen. So there, there you go. God, you're yes. right in the wheelhouse, brother. I, I, I am right in the uh, yeah, the wheel of pain. I, I will call it. Ooh, man. All right. So, uh, Steve, you lived in Richmond for a bit. Kevin and I are from Richmond. How did you end up in Richmond? So I was in Utica, New York. I, I went to Scottsbluff, Nebraska, Oak Hill, West Virginia, uh, Martinsburg, West Virginia, and I was in Utica, New York. And about six months into my stay in Utica, uh, I got a job offer from WWBT, Channel 12 in Richmond, uh, from a guy who ran the station there. His name is Harvey Powers. Um, and he had hired an anchor woman from Utica to go down there. Her name was Colleen Riley. I don't know if you remember Colleen Riley. Yeah, sure. And when my tape got on his desk and then all of a sudden, Colleen's like, you know, I think we're going to have a sports opening here. And next thing you know, Harvey uh, reached out and said, hey, I got this tape of yours from like eight months ago, but it's not from Utica. You're in Utica now, I understand. Can you send me another tape? I sent him another tape. Uh, ended up coming down there, got hired, uh, and I spent three wonderful years there. I, I love Richmond. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those markets that allows you to, A, uh, do big time sports. I mean, Ward and I used to drive up for home skins games at RFK uh, and then FedEx field. Uh, but we, when he and I were doing it, it was RFK. Um, and then, you know, Virginia basketball, VCU basketball, Richmond basketball, Richmond football, v UVA football, Virginia tech football and basketball, uh, NASCAR in town at RIR, um, you know, all the great high school sports, uh, from Mechanicsville all the way out to the West End, down to the South Side. You know that. You guys know. Um, and then also doing like Randolph-Macon and Hampton-Sydney and all kinds of levels of sports. And I thought, man, this is great. And I was the weekend guy there. And then three days a week, I would do some stuff out in the field. Ben Hammond was the number one guy. He's a legend in Richmond. Uh, what, a, what a great, great man Ben Hammond was. Uh, it is. And uh, loved working with him and for him. 
And, you know, we had something special there in Richmond. And it's, it's one of those markets that if you choose to, you can stay there the rest of your life. Um, but Ben was never going anywhere. And, and I had, I, you know, I hate saying this because it sounds kind of strange, but I had aspirations of doing something larger. Um, yeah. and, and Ben knew that Ben was always so supportive of that. Ben had his, his wife and his kids there. His wife had a really big job at a bank there. Uh, and, and they were entrenched in that community and there was nowhere for me to go at channel 12, except for the job I had, which was a great job and a great experience. But if you want to get to a larger market, you want to go do play by play on a national level, you want to do something, um, then you, you got to go. And reluctantly, uh, I started sending out tapes at the end of that second, third year. Uh, and I got a job offer in Orlando at the NBC affiliate. It was a top 20 market, a chance to do pro sports regularly, uh, do some play by play as well. And uh, it was an opportunity I couldn't pass up. And everybody there at Channel 12, guys, they were so supportive. All they asked was, can you just give us a couple of weeks to make sure that we have somebody who, you know, comes in on the back end of you so we're not missing somebody on the weekend and put Ben in a really bad spot. And, of course, I was more than happy to do that. Everybody down in Florida was happy uh, to have that happen as well, and, and it worked out. But my time in Richmond was incredible, not only professionally. Uh, I met my wife there, um, you know, at an old sports bar called Mulligan's out on the West End. Get out of uh, here. You know, love that man, place. I went to go see the Jay Giles band play on a Wednesday night concert series, that outdoor concert series on a Wednesday night. They st- I don't know if they still have those. They still have uh, it. Yep. And, you know, Valerie was wearing those damn short shorts. And here we are 25 <laughs> years later. 20, 25 years later. Yeah. And three boys. Yeah. Three boys, a wife, all because she was wearing short shorts, ordering the Miller Lite, <laughs> bent over the bar. And I just happened to be standing right behind her. And that was the end of me. And that was it. Yeah. Yes. I understand uh, that that tends to happen. Yeah. Hey, so Ben Hamlin, I have recollections when I was, uh, I don't know, I might've been a teenager. I might've been in my twenties. Did he come up with round mound of rebound for Charles Barkley? I don't know if he came up with that, but I, I, I believe that there are circles in Richmond, including Ben, who like to say that Ben came up with that, but I, I'm not able to verify that. I, I remember when I was there, Charles had an interesting relation. I've known Charles a long, long time. In fact, I met him when I was in Richmond mm. because back then, Sonny Smith was the head basketball coach at VCU. He coached Charles at Auburn, and he and Sonny were very, very close, very, very close. And I don't know if, you know, round mound or rebound was Ben Hamlin's, but Ben came up with plenty of things. Yes, but, he did. Uh, I'm not sure I'm going to give him credit for uh, one of the greatest basketball players of all time. By the way, Ben, we, we were not, an, it's, it still isn't, it's not an NBA town. And, Mm-mm. you know, it, there is no affiliation with the Washington Wizards, the Bullets back then, like there is with the Skins and the Washington football team. Right. And right. my God, he would show NBA highlights every night. I used to look at him and go, Ben, are you out of your mind? Does anybody care about the NBA here in Richmond? And they love it. Boom. And I'm like, okay, there you go. And I'm like, I'm right, you're, I'm like you're, you're the boss, man. I love you, Ben. <laughs> it's it's whatever Ben wanted, it sounds like. Yeah, that's exactly. Ben, ben was Ben, Gene Cox, Sabrina Squire, Jim yeah. Duncan. Are you kidding me? Those four were legends in Richmond. Absolutely. Hall of Fame right there. Well, they were oh. legends because they were there for a long time, and they, they were all entertaining in their own way. And by the way, for people in Richmond who are listening to this, you talk about four fabulous people. So I'm 52. So let's just say they're in their mid sixties, 
you know, maybe close to 70 now, something like that. Maybe Sabrina is probably the youngest of the four. So when I was 24 and I got hired, you know, I'm just getting going. I'm single. We're going out every night doing stupid stuff and sleeping till noon and going to work at one or two. You know, they had they were they had families and they were they were normal people and they were adults and they could not have taken in um, a kid uh, who was eager to be good at what they did, uh, to be intertwined in the community like they were. Uh, to, to meet the people that, that I got to meet through them, through being at Channel 12, um, from the Olympic torch relay in 96, um, all the way down to every high school coach I ever dealt with. Um, it was just a great, great experience. So those four are not only legends because of their longevity at Channel 12, but those four are legends in that community because they're just tremendous people uh, who really care about their profession and also Richmond and the greater area. And uh, I, I was very, very fortunate uh, to be underneath all of them and learn from them on a daily basis. I, I am uh, fairly confident, Steve, that they all live here now. In oh, I think so. I was in Richmond. So I was in Richmond for the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame uh, three years ago, maybe four years ago. And I went down to Channel 12 to say hello to some old friends who were still there. Sabrina was there. Uh, she did, and, and Jim Duncan was there, and I know Jim just retired either last year or recently. Um, Gene Cox was not there. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, Gene, Gene was not there, and uh, Ben was not there still. But I, I believe they do all still live in the community, and uh, and, and the community is better off for them. And they're, they're really, really solid people. Yeah, no, no doubt. Their reputations are fantastic. Uh, so you're in Orlando. Were you there very long? I was in Orlando. Uh, I was at the Orlando station for three years uh, from 97 when I left Richmond uh, to 2000. Um, and then at the end of 2000, I got a call uh, from the golf channel asking me if I'd like to come to the golf channel. And of course I never heard of the golf channel. Nobody ever heard of the golf channel. And I thought, why would I want to go to the golf channel? What's the golf channel? Here I am doing football, basketball, baseball, you know, hockey, horse racing, tennis, you name it. And NASCAR, all these different things. And I'm like, why would I want to go do that? And uh, it ended up being the best phone call I ever took. And you've been doing it for two decades plus since, right? Yeah. My, my first day at the Golf Channel was 01, 01, 01. I'm oh, wow. Uh, I, got hired, I got hired by the end of 2000. Uh, at the end of 2000, I got hired. And then I started on January 1st. Um, and I was at NBC. I was at Golf Channel, excuse me, uh, for almost 12 years exclusively. And then I got the job offer at NBC. Um, and I've been doing both, uh, since 2012. All right. So I have to ask, since you've been so close to professional golf and you've talked to all, all the players numerous times, what is your favorite moment that you were physically there for the last 20 Ooh. years? Oh man. Um, you know, I'm so lucky. Well, I, I do, you know, look every week I'm in the booth doing play-by-play. -play. I'm in the tower doing play-by-play -play, and then I'm on the ground doing interviews with the guys. Uh, or the women, whatever tour. Uh, I do mostly the PGA tour, but I also do some LPGA stuff. Um, you know, there's been so many. I mean, my gosh, I, I cannot imagine a bigger moment in golf in the 20 years, in the 21 years I've been doing this sport for the most part exclusively, save for the Olympics doing the Winter Games, um, than when Tiger won his 80th at the Tour Championship and all the people in Atlanta uh, came rushing down like it was an open championship at St. Andrews. Uh, that was the loudest I've ever heard. 
um, golf. Uh, it was the most exciting, uh, excited I've ever seen fans uh, at a golf tournament. It was the most, uh, it was the, the, it was probably the moment I saw Tiger embrace the fans the most in that regard. He wasn't shoving them away. He wasn't saying, get off me. He was soaking it in. He understood how big of a deal it was for him and for them. Uh, he hadn't won in five years. Uh, to be able to be the person to run out there, to, not only to call it in early in his round, when he was you know, getting to the point, to the back nine, where he was starting to you know, lead and get himself in contention and, and have a chance to win, for the first time in five years, his 80th win. I don't know why birthdays and sports fives and zeros mean more. doesn't mean anything more than 79 or 81, but 80 just had this big number. And then to get out of the tower doing the play-by-play, go down on the ground and be the guy who has the opportunity to go talk to him first on network TV uh, after he wins his 80th and such an iconic moment uh, for him in sports, in golf, because of who he is. Uh, that would have to be the best moment. I mean, I was, you know, I, I've joked with Tiger before, guys. You know, basically in golf, you have CBS, NBC, and Golf Channel. So CBS and NBC have most of the weekends. Uh, we on Golf Channel and NBC, we have half of them. CBS has half of them. Then on Golf Channel, has all the cable action on Thursday and Friday, uh, yeah. and then on early coverage on Saturday and Sunday. So. I'm lucky enough to do golf channel and NBC. So I've taken tournaments to the end, but for the most part, uh, the people who call them are Jim Nance on CBS and Dan Hicks does it on NBC. Uh, and then there are some of us on golf channel who get a chance to do them on golf channel shows, uh, which is always a thrill. So I got a chance to go to Tokyo two years ago and I've joked with tiger before his 82nd victory which tied Sam Snead for the all-time wins mark in the history of the PGA Tour. I was the play-by-play guy. And Tiger's looked at me. And Tiger, he said this to me a few times because I joke with him all the time. I go, Tiger, I got news for you, pal. Whatever the VHS DVD equivalent is when we're grandparents, you know, 30 years from now, whatever that is, I said, I feel bad for you, bud, because it's not Nance and it's not Hicks who made the call. I was the guy who made the call. So you're going to have to listen to me uh, when you're showing that to your kids and your grandkids just to prove that you actually did play golf at a high level to them when you're too old to do so. So um, that moment, being able to do the play-by-play and call that moment where he tied Sam Snead, and it looks like that probably will be the last win he ever has on the PGA Tour. I hope it's not, but it looks like it probably will be. Um, And then also being the guy who got to interview him with the 80th. And I'm not Tiger-centric here. You know, the Hazeltine Ryder Cup in Minneapolis was incredibly electric. Uh, Some Ryder Cups over there, open championships at St. Andrews, uh, interviewing Roger Federer and Tiger Woods when they were both number one at the same time at Doral when Roger was following Tiger in a practice round. There have been a lot of moments, some play-by-play, some whole – I'm lucky enough to do the play-by-play on the 17th hole at Sawgrass, seen some holes in one there over the years uh, live, which is very cool. Um, but those two moments because of the person who he is, what he's meant to the sport. And let's face it, he's still the most famous athlete on the planet outside of Michael Jordan. And, you know, to be involved with those two moments, I think would have to be the two shared moments. It's a long answer. I apologize, but those are the two. That's a great answer. 
So, Steve, I could ask you questions for the next uh, three days about golf. But so I'm just going to give you a couple rapid fire ones and you can you, you can expand. You can just throw the answer out if you want. No, we'll go you, rapid for you. Yeah, you're good, bud. All right, here we go. So best personality on tour. Which player Kevin, is the best personality? Who? Kevin Kisner. Kevin Kisner. If you want to go out wow. and have a beer with anybody in golf, Kevin Kisner's your guy. Ryan Palmer's a great guy to go out and have a beer with. But I love Ryan, but Kevin Kisner is the guy I want to go out and, have, and go drinking with one night. All right. Now, this could be a similar question, but funniest guy on tour. Funniest guy on tour. Oh, man. Um, God, golfers really aren't very funny. Kev. I, <laughs> you know, they don't have that locker room mentality. They don't have that, you know, kind of, you know, boys will be boys kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I'd say Kevin's funny. Um Mickelson can be sneaky funny, but in a in an Eddie Haskell kind of way. Um, God, funny. I, oof. Let me let me think on that one. Go ahead, keep going on the rest. Is John da- is John Daly funny? Eh, golf funny. Yeah, yeah, that's about He's it. Golf funny. Great guy. Okay. He'd love he'd love him. Fun guy to hang around with. But yeah. I don't know if any of them are really funny. I mean, okay, all right. They're about- like golfers, man. Yeah, I got you. I got you. So, best athlete on the tour. Gary Woodland or Dustin Johnson. Okay. Gary yeah. Woodland and Dustin Johnson, both uh, Gary played uh, college basketball. Dustin could have played uh, college basketball, not at a high, high level, but those two guys are very, very good athletes. Tony Finau is a very, very good athlete as well. Okay. So what's they're your favorite athletes? Spieth is a really yeah. good athlete. They're, they're, they're all really good athletes in their own right. But as far as playing other sports, Spieth perhaps could have been a baseball player. Uh, and I think that, and I don't know about professional, but college and Gary and Dustin both played or, and could have played college basketball. So I'd say those three. Okay. Two more, your favorite course to cover. St. Andrews. Wow. Home of Why golf. It's where it was invented. And man, when you're there, it, it's magical. The open championship is there next summer. Cannot wait. It's the best. Pebble beach is the prettiest. Pebble beach is the prettiest. Uh, but. You give me St. Andrews and I'll give you the rest. Now, and my last question, and it really isn't a question unless you answer the first. So I guess it's a two part question. Do you play golf? I assume you do. I'm so bad, man. It's, it's embarrassing. I, I play sparingly. I will, I'll play in charity events, you know, just because I'm ass and I, and I'm a believer in some of those causes. Um, and I'll go out and knock it around with my buddies, but it's been a struggle the last few years in my game. My game sucks. Okay, so that aside, because Paul and I will, will feel the same way. Our game sucks too. But what was your favorite course or the greatest course you got to play on? Oh man, now you're killing me. Now you're gonna make me sound like I'm showing off. Um, go off with the with the cat. No, no, no. Nobody likes to show off. Um, <laughs> you know, you got. I don't like you guys. You know, you guys are successful at what you do because you make the show about the, you know the competition and the athletes and the people who are on it. Um, in my job, you know, when you're doing play by play or whether you're doing uh, on the ground, doing holes, I mean, uh, interviewing the guys, it's about the players. It's about the competition. It's about the tournament. So it's never about me, but if you're going to ask, I'm embarrassed to tell you, uh, I have played, uh, quite a bit, um, over the years, we've had a lot of opportunities to play some great courts. Look at that smile on your face, man. This isn't fair. You're you're going to embarrass me. Uh, I'll, okay, I'll spit it out. I'm trying to not say it, but I'll spit it out. 
Uh, Augusta National and St. Andrews are my two favorite courses I've ever played. Oh, that's awesome. Well, they're they're the two best courses that anybody would want to play, right? I know, but you guys asked. I would never tell anybody that. All right, you you don't have to answer this one, Steve. What's your your best 18 score? Oh, I shot shot 74 once. Nice. Uh, And and that was great, but, I mean, I, I can't break 85 anymore. I mean, it's terrible. It's gross. We're, it's gross. We're, it's we're the same. We're, we're the same age, Steve. I can't yeah, break ninety-seven. I need my I need my youngest kid who's in eleventh grade to go to college, so then I can be home and have my wife say, "Get the hell out of the house," and I can go to the course and start hitting some balls again. Um, it's uh, it's been a struggle the last few years for me to break eighty-five. <laughs> so seventy-four, but that was a hundred years ago, man. That was a long oh, time. Yeah. Ago. I hear you. That's uh, it's still a really good score, and I'm I'm a little jealous because my best score, Steve, is an 86, and I don't well, I, say that. That's fine. You didn't ask me if it was a par three course. You just asked what's the best score. So. <laughs> well, my 86 was on a par three course. So, yeah, oh, there you stop, go. Stop. Uh, so you you covered Sochi and you covered uh, the Tokyo Olympics. Tell us yeah. about those two experiences because Japan and, and Russia are very different places. Very different. Uh, Beijing coming up next next February. That'll be interesting too. Um, you know, Sochi was amazing. Um, it was really cool. It was very warm. So I, I, I do speed skating in the winter games. I'm not sure what I'm doing in Beijing, um, but I've done speed skating the last two winter games in Pyeongchang, South Korea in 2018, and before that, 2014 in Sochi. Um, you know, the Olympics is, is incredible. The, the energy is amazing. This past Olympics in Tokyo, I felt so bad for the athletes because it was quiet. It was like competing last year in sports when there were no fans, no energy. Normally, the Olympics is just the Olympic Village is rocking and rolling. Uh, Olympic Park is rocking and rolling. Uh, there's just a lot of people from all over the world who have come just to gather and just enjoy themselves. Uh, and it's, a, it's an honor uh, and a privilege for us to be there covering it. Uh, so Sochi was cool. It's Russia. You know, it's a little, you know, you know, look over your shoulder a little bit. You know, you make sure, you know, everything's all right. But when you're in an Olympic Village, Olympic Town, Olympic Park, you're not having to do any of that stuff, you know. Yeah, you know, you want to make sure you're not giving out passwords on your cell phone and that kind of thing. But other than that, uh, the people in Russia are great. You know, I've always said traveling the world, we're very, very lucky. Been, been every continent, traveling all over the place, been amazing. People don't dislike each other. Governments do. <laughs> Cultures are great. I love going to Russia. I love going to Malaysia. Love going to Japan. Love going to all these different places. Uh, we're so lucky to do so. Governments argue about things. People do. When we're in Russia, man, everybody's you know raising a glass, having a beer, having a good time. Uh, go to Rio in 2016. I mean, what a city that is! Holy smokes! And uh, you know, everybody's having a great time. Uh, same thing. Same thing. The culture is so cool to be involved in. Um, do governments disagree on certain things? Of course. Do we want to be the way they are? No. Do they want to be the way we are? Not all the time. So there's nothing wrong with that. That's what's cool about going around the world and meeting all these people, because, you know, I, I think that Americans don't travel enough. Americans need to get out and go enjoy other cultures. We have it so good here. We don't need to travel. So Sochi in 14 was amazing. 16 in Rio was really cool. Pyeongchang, South Korea in 2018. It was so cold that literally when you left the hotel, you were like, are you kidding me? So like when we had a, a night off or we, we speed skating is usually in prime time at night. So we didn't get a lot of nights off, but you know, we had a one or two dark days and I mean, it was so cold that 
you just couldn't, you you just need to go from one place to the next and get there as fast as you could. Uh, but it was really neat to be there. Um, and they, they, they really went old school Olympics by going to a town that's not in Seoul, South Korea. They went to Pyeongchang, which is a really small place. And it was really neat uh, to be there. And then this past one in Tokyo, Tokyo is one of the great cities in the world, but nobody got to see it because every bar and restaurant was closed. There were no fans there. Um, but, but being in the Olympics, uh, seeing what it's like, uh, watching those athletes perform, whether the, the professionals like the Michael Phelps or the Simone Biles or the golfers who are pros or the basketball players who are pros, all the way down to the, the men and women who are just there competing for the first time and the only time in their life, and they spent their whole life getting to that point. Uh, it's, it's an amazing energy. It's, uh, it's really cool to be a part of the Olympic coverage on NBC. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. Uh, are you going to be doing this when you're 75, you think? Uh, 75 might be a touch, you know, deep. Uh, I would love to do it. If I'm, if they'll have me, I'd be, I'd love to do it till I was 65, 68 years old. Um, you know, I, I, I feel like I say this to my, my wife and I say this to my sons now that they're old enough. If I don't sound like my recall is there, if I can't tell a story uh, as concisely as I'd like. Now, this is a podcast where you can expound on your thoughts. But when you're on television, you want to be able to do it not quickly, but do it in a nice, concise manner and get it out efficiently. Let's put it that way. Uh, that's what the beauty of this medium is that you can just keep going on and on with you guys right. um, and just have some fun. So I've told people around me that, look, if I don't have the recall, uh, that I've had, and I don't have the ability to speak as, as, as concisely and as efficiently, uh, don't have the relationships with the athletes, um, and, you know, just kind of get lazy, uh, then it's time to go. I, I don't want to be one of those guys doing play-by-play who says, uh, speak for Bertie, excuse me, Justin Thomas, excuse me, Xander Shoffley, excuse me, Gary Woodland for Bertie. I don't want to do that because I think that's, that's, it's not good for the profession. No. It's not good for the audience. Uh, it's not good for the sport you're covering, uh, whatever it is. So, you know, if I can't get it out quickly, uh, concisely, efficiently, uh, know what I'm talking about, be a trusted voice, um, then, you know, it, it's time to go. So I would think 75 might be might be a little deep. 65, 68 would be great, but that's a long ways away. So hopefully they'll keep having me. Yeah. Well, these right. days. These days, social media will let you know if if you're slipping at all. Oh man, I I don't do social media, man. I can't get on there. If I, <laughs> Good for you. If I, if I want to call or text or email somebody, I'll just do it. I, social media, I've got no interest. It's a cesspool, man. Yes, it is. Uh, undoubtedly a cesspool. All right. So, uh, well, so we're all going to face this someday. Yeah. If you start to slip cognitively. Yeah. How do you know that you've slipped cognitively? Well, I, honestly, I've had, I mean, I'm only 52. My, my, my cognitive ability um, is fine right now. Um, and I think it's just as sharp as it's always been. Uh, I think we all know when we've slipped a little. Uh, that's the first thing. And the second thing is I have literally in the last couple of years told my family, hey, you know, if you don't think I can keep doing this, I don't want to get up there and embarrass anybody let alone myself, but it's not about me per se. It's more that, you know, look, I love Vern Lundquist. I think Vern Lundquist is one of the great legends in the history of sportscasting. Clearly it was time for him to move on a few years ago when he was doing SEC football. Clearly he doesn't sound as good um, doing the masters anymore on CBS. Personally, I would like to see Vern stop 
because I want to remember Vern for who he was and how great he was, not for someone who perhaps makes mistakes. And I'm not picking on Vern. I love Vern, but clearly he's not as sharp now as he was, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, there are plenty of examples of that. And by no means am I picking on Vern Lundquist. I want to make that very, very clear. But in my opinion, especially in our job, if you're not razor sharp enough, if your energy isn't high enough, it's time to go. And, and I think that you'd like to think that you would know it. You'd especially like to think that your family around you would know it and love you enough and be honest with you enough to say, hey, dad, uh, hey, hey, sweetheart, it, it's time to get out of here. So yeah. hopefully that's a long ways away. Let's transition to your family real quickly. Out of your three boys, which one would be most likely to tell you you're slipping? Oh, by far, uh, my youngest, Eric. Uh, he's, he's, uh, I think he's gotten pounded into the ground by his two older brothers enough where he is now so open and honest that he'll just say anything. He, he, he's like, uh, like my father is 82. He's gotten to the point now where he can say whatever the hell he wants. doesn't matter anymore. And Eric is like he's five years old. And he just, he's 16 and he, he acts like he's five or 82 and just let you know. If I'm sitting there watching a ball game, and he's walking by, like I was watching Monday Night Football the other night, and he's walking by, he goes, Dad, that, that bald spot's getting bigger and bigger, buddy. You know, it's like <laughs> he just says whatever he feels like saying. So believe me, if I am not able to get something out, if I am doing something that is old manish, uh, Eric Sands will let me know. He's your guy. Yeah. That's- oh, I love him. I, mean, I love all three of them. I love all three of them equally, but of the three – He's the one who's going to take the best shot. <laughs> Everybody needs an Eric Sands in their life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So tell us more about your family, your wife and your, and your boys. Look, man, Val Sands runs the show. She's, uh, you know, she's great. She came from a big sports family background. Uh, she jokes with all of us. She's the only division one athlete in the family. She was a diver at Tulane. Oh, nice. um, oh. uh, her father played in the bigs. Uh, was a, a scout, a head checker, uh, bench coach guy f- his whole life in Major League Baseball. So she knew, you know, the sports deal, the traveling and the, the lifestyle and the weird hours. And, um, you know, she, she kept everything together all those years with the boys to, to keep them straight with school. And, um, you know, I just was I was just along for the ride all those years. Um, and our boys are great. Our, we have a junior at Maryland. Uh, he's doing really well. Brian Scott's a freshman at Indiana. Uh, he's doing really well up there uh, in Bloomington, uh, just getting comfortable with how things are working. He's only been there a few weeks. Uh, and Eric's an 11th grader. Um, they all played sports. Uh, there's no bigger thrill to me than watching them all play football and basketball, diving, lacrosse, whatever the sports were, baseball. Um, it's uh, I, I love watching my boys play. Uh, I love being home uh, with my family. Uh, because I'm on the road so much. It's a, it's a great thing to be home um, when you travel as much as we do. And uh, you can't do what we do and travel 30 weeks a year unless you've got a massive support system at home and someone who has an understanding of you know, what it is that you do um, and, and what it means to you uh, personally and professionally. Uh, and and you know, Valerie is the one who, who held it all together. And I'm not just saying that because we're married. I'm just saying it because it's true. You, you literally are, you're, you're going to fail at this if you don't have a great support system uh, at home. Uh, and I certainly have been uh, the luckiest guy in the world in that regard. So at the height of uh, the golf season, 
and you can talk about the U.S. Open if you want. You can talk about another major or just another big non-major tournament. What's a typical uh, week like for you? You know, I fly in um, on a Tuesday, most likely. Um, practice round, pro-am round on Wednesday, talk to the guys, walk the course, uh, get to know, uh, you know, a little bit of nuances on the holes you're covering or if I'm in the booth doing the play-by-play, do the entire course. Um, talk to the players, the caddies, the officials, uh, the tournament organizers, um, get to know, you know, do some homework on all kinds of different things that you can bring to a telecast. Um, that just outside of saying, here's a six iron to a back right pin and do a cross breeze from 184, you know, something, you know, larger than that. And then, uh, you know, Thursday they put the peg in the ground. So we, you know, normally go on the air in the afternoon, depending on the time zone. Um, and I'll get there, you know, three, three and a half hours before we go on the air, um, see the course, see the conditions, talk to the guys, talk to some of the guys who just came off the course in the morning wave that we could perhaps lend a little context to for the audience in the afternoon when the afternoon wave is playing, when we go on the air, uh, talk to the guys who are in our TV window, uh, who we know are going to be the main players in the featured groups um, and those kinds of things. Um, you know, it's just, you, you gotta, you gotta stay relevant, be there, um, talk to the guys. Um, don't be afraid to kind of get into the weeds a little bit so you can kind of, tell a story about these guys so that fans at home are not just rooting for or against somebody, but they actually get to know them a little bit, bring people a little closer to the action, bring people inside the ropes, uh, those kinds of things. So, you know, the, the closer you can get uh, to the action as an audience, the, the better your experience is going to be on television. Television is a powerful medium. You know, you're watching it. So how about we take you inside? Let's hear what the caddy and the player are talking about. Let's hear what a, what a player said before his round about this moment upcoming, those kinds of things. I love it. Sawgrass, for instance, it's one example. Um, I can use, I can use a hundred examples, but Sawgrass, for instance, we do the players on golf channel and on NBC. I love asking players before the round, Hey, when do you start thinking about 17? What is it? The, the walk from 16 green, or is it when you make the turn or is it on the first tee, that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of ways to let the audience know, uh, what their player, what they're, what they're rooting for, who they're rooting against, uh, what that person's actually really like, as opposed to just watching them hit golf shows. So, Steve, you travel on a Tuesday, and are you yeah. traveling back home on a Monday? Travel back home. If we can get out Sunday night, it's, it's the greatest thing on the planet because uh, one extra night at home is fantastic. One extra morning um, being home is great. But a lot of times, I'd say half the time, it's a Monday morning flight. Maybe maybe less than that. Maybe it's 60-40 Sunday night and Monday. Um, you know, a lot of times I'll fly out on Wednesday morning if there's a real, real early flight. Um, but, you know, you, you gotta, all of us are prep freaks. You know, you've got to be prepared. You've got to know what's going on. So you can't, you know, if, if the flight was delayed on Wednesday morning and, and, and I, God forbid I couldn't be there on Wednesday, then all of a sudden you lose a whole day of prep. So a lot of times I'll fly out depending on, uh, you know, our son's, you know, sports schedules or, or my wife's schedules, you know, I'll fly the last flight out on Tuesday uh, or the first flight out on Wednesday is more preferred. You know, that, that'd be to get that extra night at home is big. All right. My last question, then we're going to go to Kevin's uh, last, I think it's a three-parter. 
Sometimes he turns it into like a seven parter. No problem. Besides the, uh, the night or day you met your wife, what's your fondest memory of uh, Richmond? Oh God. You mean that I can share on this podcast? uh, Either way, whatever you want to do. Uh, What are you laughing at Kevin? Um, So, Oh man. I, I remember one night uh, channel 12 on Midlothian turnpike uh, and the, in the 18, I was filling in for Ben and Sabrina and Gene and Jim uh, we went to this place down the street that was open to a real late after the 11 o'clock and played pool and drank all night. And to watch those three just be normal human beings and have a great time um, was a lot of fun. I remember one, we did that a bunch, uh, not just one night, uh, saw some amazing uh, sporting events. I was, I was on the, on the field underneath the goalpost when Warwick Dunn was stopped at the goal line by UVA right in front of me. So I was basically 11 yards behind. I was literally in that end zone standing there on a Thursday night game. I believe it was a Thursday night. It game. was. Yeah. And I was underneath the goalpost standing there as Warwick Dunn. I'm telling you that hole was as wide as a parking lot and it closed fast. And that was a really cool night in Charlottesville. Saw some, uh, you know, saw Virginia Tech win the NIT at Madison Square Garden. Um, saw a lot of cool moments uh, you, with Richmond basketball, VCU basketball. The NCAA tournament came to town one year when I was there. That was the year Darvin Ham from Texas Tech shattered the backboard. And Ward and I were sitting right there on the end line when Darvin Ham uh, shattered the backboard uh, at the Richmond Coliseum. Um, but, you know, yeah, a lot of, you know, a lot of big nights out boozing. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what was a cool night. Um, Dave Matthews band is from that area and they played in Richmond one time and they were not yet the Dave Matthews band. They were called the Dave Matthews band, but nobody knew that they were the Dave Matthews band just yet. And I remember sitting there watching them play one night going, man, these guys are great. <laughs> like these guys got a shot. And, you know, I'm the biggest dummy in the world. These guys didn't have a shot. They ended up being one of the great bands of, of that era. Um, you know, socially, professionally, sports-wise, I mean, man, those three years were absolutely magical. Fantastic. All right, so I, I have to ask, I'm a UVA homer. Yeah. Uh, Steve, did Wark uh, cross the threshold that is the goal line or, or not with the ball? No, no, he didn't get in. Yeah, no. I, I agree. No. And, and, and I remember asking George Welsh off camera. Yeah, George was an all-time tough guy. And George, we had a great relationship with George. He was wonderful. Uh, and I said, George, some people think, you know, replay back then wasn't there. The angles weren't the same. You know, the TV was different. He goes, I, I said, some people, some people uh, off camera, some people think that, uh, you know, work may have actually broken the plane there. And uh, you can't see me because we're on a podcast. The audience can't, you guys can but I mean, he literally points his finger, gets up in my face, his fingers right in my nose and goes, don't you ever say that. There's no way he got in. There's no way he got in. I'm like, okay, you got it. I said, I'm not saying it. I'm just telling you that people are talking about it. But George was, uh, George was fired up. And no, he didn't get in. The Who's stopped him that night. They stopped him that night. And Bobby went back to uh, Tallahassee, a very unhappy man. By the way, RIP to Bobby Bowden, one of the all-time uh, great guys in sports. Yep. Yeah, yep. did did know him personally, but his reputation oh, was man. fantastic. Bobby was all time great. I believe it. All right, and, and by the way, Steve, 
Yeah, I'll yeah. give you my twelve part question. And the reason why I was laughing is because I know you know Ward. So uh, yeah, Love Ward. I'm sure y'all had a good time. So oh, yeah. there is, Love Ward. It's, it's totally not a seven part question. Real easy question. We usually ask it uh, to all our guests at the end. So Jimmy Fallon is sick tonight, and you, Steve Sands, are going to be yeah. Jimmy Fallon. You're taking over. So you need to pick a male guest, a female guest, and a musical group or a comedian or both. Yeah. Up to you. Um, could be dead or alive. Could be just the Steve Sands experience, or it could be you trying to get ratings. Whatever you want to do. You could, what you, got. You, you could be trying to make the world better. You could be entertaining yourself, whatever you want to and, do. And, and I've got it solid right here for you. Bruce Springsteen would be the lead guest, mm. and he would also play music that night. Halle Berry would be the female guest because she is the absolute greatest looking woman in the history of sports. And I would like to bring back George Carlin mm. and have George Carlin do a, a five to six minute uh, set right there uh, with us. But by far Springsteen, Halle Berry uh, and comedian would be either Rodney Dangerfield or George Carlin. Great answer. All, right, all right. So hold on, Steve, you're a DC guy. Why Bruce? Oh, so little known fact, Nils Lofgren, Nils Lofgren, the guitarist. I don't know if you remember Bullets Fever. They got mm -hmm. by the ice, man. That was him. He, he wrote that song and played that song. He's the one who started that song. He was a DC guy from outside, uh, from outside DC. He was okay. from Garrett Park, Maryland. Uh, went to Walter Johnson High School. And uh, so Springsteen kind of tr trickled its way down from the New York, New Jersey area, down into Philly, uh, down into Delaware, down into Maryland, and down into DC. Um in a special way. So Springsteen, my older brother was a massive Springsteen guy. Uh, Nils Lofgren was a, a DC guy. Um, and I was a, uh, a big, big Springsteen fan. Still am. He's the greatest. Yeah. He's still, he's still making it happen. All right. I, normally we would end after that question, but you, you're a university of Maryland fan, especially basketball. Yeah. It sounds like. Love it. All right. So uh, look, th this is uh, sad for me and I never knew the guy, uh, but back in 86, when Lynn bias died two days after he was drafted second overall by the Celtics, where were you and, and, and what was that like for you, that experience, just knowing that he passed away? That was the worst. I was a huge Lenny Bias guy, as we all were. Uh, my older brother worked at a Shell gas station on Rockville Pike, uh, and I was driving up to go see him to do something, to drop something. I think he forgot something. Um, and I was driving, I was listening to AM radio, sports radio or FM radio or something. There were no satellite radio then. It, there wasn't sports radio either. And I, I got into the Shell gas station on Rockville Pike, turned right, got out of the car. My brother came from outside of the, of the office at the Shell gas station. And he just had this look on his face. And I thought something happened to one of our family members. And he looked and goes, did you hear what happened? And I said, no. He said, Len Biasta. And I was like, Whoa, I just, you know, can't comprehend it when you're 17, like you can when you're 52, but it was, uh, it was devastating for all sports fans in DC. It was the biggest sports story in the history of that city. And that includes skin Super Bowls, uh, not, not the biggest ratings like football, but the biggest sports story was when he died. It was, it was devastating to all of us as Maryland fans, as human beings. Uh, and, the, and the city and the whole area mourned for a long, long time. Did you get to see him play in person? I did. I saw him play a bunch, man. My, my mom and dad were massive Maryland fans, and they used to take us to games. Um, and, I mean, seeing him play was magical. 
He would not have been Michael Jordan. Uh, he would not have been. He would not have been Larry Bird. He would not have been Magic Johnson. But, I, you know, he would have been, you know, a, a, a perennial all-star and a Hall of Fame player. Uh, he would have been a dynamic player. He would have elongated Larry Bird's career. Larry wouldn't have had to play so many minutes. Um, and the Celtics would have probably won at least one more title with Lenny there. Yes. Uh, I'll tell you a great uh, le- le- lefty Drizel story. He just sitting there. They were, they were down one one time, and everybody's kind of looking around. There's about nine seconds left. Maryland had the ball. They were down one. And the players are all looking up at lefty going, you know, what, what, what do we want to do? And the coaches are talking. Coaches are talking. Now the horn blows. The ref's going, okay, guys, we got to get out there. And the players are like, what's the play? What are we going to do? <laughs> lefty just looks at the five kids sitting on the bench and goes, Get the ball to Lennon. That was it. <laughs> that was the whole thing. And they got the ball. They got the ball to Lennon. He called him Lennon, not Leonard Lenny. And they got the ball to Lennon and they won the game. Uh, he was a fabulous player. And uh, it's one of the saddest things uh, that I can remember in all of sports. But, but in our sports world, uh, as a Maryland basketball fan, as a Maryland fan of all sports, that was uh, right up there as far as the saddest thing I can remember. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a D.C. sports guy, but uh, it was sad across the country. Oh, I think. terrible, terrible. Yeah, yeah uh, we shouldn't end on that. Top five golfers all time. We'll end on that, Steve. What do you got? Jack and Tiger. Um, you know, oh, you know, I mean, are you, you know, Bobby Jones, Walter Hagen? These people played, who knows who they play, old Tom Morris. Uh, you know, Ben Hogan, Gary Player won the career grand slam. Um, you know, there's nobody more dynamic than Arnold Palmer, uh, but he wasn't as good as Tom Watson. He just was more dynamic. Um, you know, let's just go with the top two. I'll go with Jack's the greatest, uh, and Tiger's number two. All right. There you go. Perfect. Steve, you are a delight to talk to. And I don't say that to, uh, just, just everybody. This is a lot of fun. I would love to go a lot longer, but I think we said around an hour. So I really appreciate you taking the time to do this with us. Uh, you're good, man. Anytime. It's good to be with you fellas. And, uh, Please give Ward my best. He's an, he's an all-time great guy. Will Thanks, do. Steve. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it. All right, fellas. Nice to talk to you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd also really appreciate if you'd rate and review us. You can find us at scodopodcast.com.